Good morning, church family. We are so glad that you came to worship with us today. And we want you to come before the Lord with gladness, with prayers and songs of praise. And so I have a very special privilege this morning to introduce to you Pastor Farns from our Creole ministry that meets across the way. He's going to come and do a special call to worship this morning. So would you welcome Pastor Farns? Eh bien, bonjour tout le monde, bonjour, et alors mon nom c'est Fons. Bonjour tout le monde, alors mon nom c'est Fons, alors je suis avec uh, l'église créole de l'autre bord. Good morning church family, my name is Fons and I serve here with the Creole ministry. Um, and I have the privilege this morning to... Uh, bringing our service to with a call to worship from Psalm 100. You will have the privilege to have this psalm in French and in English at the same time. Psalm 100. Poussez vers l'éternel des cris de joie, vous tous habitants de la terre. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Servez l'éternel avec joie. Venez avec allégresse en sa présence. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Sachez que l'Éternel est Dieu. C'est lui qui nous a fait et nous lui appartenons. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He is he that made us, that have made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Entrez dans ses portes avec des louanges, dans ses pauvres avec des cantiques. Célébrez-le, bénissez son nom. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. Quand l'Éternel est bon, sa bonté dure toujours, et sa fidélité de génération en génération. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures for, for, for to all generations. Alors ce matin, nous avons l'occasion de vous rappeler que nous sommes la précieuse création de Dieu. Il nous a tous créés dans un but spécial, et nous pouvons choisir de le servir volontiers dans notre vie. This morning, we have the opportunity to remember that we are God's prized creation. He made us all for a special purpose, and we can choose to gladly serve Him with our lives. Dieu nous invite à l'adorer avec gratitude. Dans nos cœurs et louanges pour ce qu'il a fait et ce qu'il est, God invites us to worship Him with thankfulness in our hearts and praise Him for who He is and what He has done. Je veux vous inviter ce matin à vous souvenir de la bonté de Dieu dans votre vie. I want to invite you this morning to remember the goodness of God in your life. Réfléchissez à la façon dont il a été fidèle à vous et à votre famille. Reflect on how he has been faithful to you and your family. Et enfin, je vous invite à lui apporter votre louange avec des cris et des chants joyeux. And lastly, I invite you to 
bring your praise to him with joyful shouts and singing. Notre joie ne dépend pas de notre situation. Elle est enracinée dans notre relation avec Dieu. Our joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It is rooted in our relationship with God. Donc, peu importe que vous soyez au moment de la, au sommet de la montagne ou dans la vallée aujourd'hui, vous pouvez choisir de lui, hein, de le louer, de louer votre grand et immense Dieu. Il est digne de tout cela. Famille de l'Église, il est temps d'adorer le Seigneur. So it doesn't matter. If you are on the mountain top or in the valley today, you can choose to praise your great and saving, loving God. So church people, it is now time that we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord. Let us put our hands together to worship the Lord this morning. Let us praise the Lord. Let's stand together, church family. Worship the Lord. Welcome to Creole Church. So glad you're here with us. Let's sing this out together. God, when I am awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power 
learning this song over the past few weeks speaks of the power that God has over every situation in our life and to have faith to believe that He will accomplish what He wants to accomplish. Sing this out with Hallie as she leads us on. Power. 
family, you can be seated. Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Pastor Tony Svensson, I'm the Go Pastor. Uh, We're excited that you're here with us this morning. Uh, Beginning where we are all at, our goal is to become more like Jesus. Uh, We do that by gathering in life-changing worship, by growing in life-changing truth, and going in life-changing mission. And so for the next six weeks, we have an opportunity as a church uh, to come together. And uh, all of us are going to be doing this six-week study. And so you've got several opportunities to participate in that, uh, one by coming to the service uh, live or online. Uh, The other one is you can grab uh, one of these books in the commons area, and you can study along with us. Uh, But we highly, highly encourage you, if you're not part of a group, this is an opportunity for you to join a group. Uh, We have those on Sunday morning. Some of them meet off campus during the week and also some online opportunities. Uh, So if you're not part of a group, please uh, take advantage of this next six weeks uh, to study together. We also have, uh, you probably received this flyer coming in. The men have an opportunity. Uh, The fourth quarter men are are sponsoring a Valentine's uh, retreat on February the 12th. And so you can get some more information from this flyer as to how you can participate uh, in that. Uh, Some of you may be aware that tomorrow we were supposed to leave for South Africa. uh, But due to some of the, the craziness that has gone on over the past few weeks, we decided to postpone that. And so we will be moving that trip to the end of April. Uh, Because of the move, we have an opportunity uh, opened up a few spots. So if you have any interest in going to South Africa with us on mission, uh, please uh, look for us in the comments to get some more information on how you can participate in that. Uh, Thank you, Brother Farns, for joining us up here this morning and leading us in worship. Uh, You may see our, our Creole church has joined us this morning. And so we're excited about that after, immediately after the service. Immediately after the service, they're going to be having a baptism service today. So if you would like to participate in that, we enjoy you, uh, encourage you to come and stay afterwards and and join us for that. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in in prayer. Uh, Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise for this day. We thank you that that we can worship you, that we can know you, that, that your desire is for us to worship you in truth and spirit. So lead us this morning by the power of your spirit. And glorify yourself, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Church family, it's so good to be with you today. And I'm so grateful for just what the Lord is doing here. It's a new year. There's a lot of new, wonderful things that God is wanting to do at this church. And one thing I have noticed since I've had the chance to be here is that this is a multi-generational church. We've got kiddos all the way up through grandparents that are here. And and I love how that's also pictured by your leadership here on this platform. So grateful for these students that are leading with us, for Hallie and Gabby and the rest of this team. So grateful that we can come together and all serve and worship the Lord because we learn from each other, don't we? The old learns from the young, if it's okay to say old, but it's okay to be old because you've got experience and we need that, right? I feel old sometimes, all right? It's just, it's part of life. But I know things now that I didn't know back then. 
And there's things I learn from the coming generations. And that's a beautiful thing because God made it that way. He put us all together. We've been learning a song called Thank You Jesus for the Blood. And I think it's so important that as a church family, when we gather together, we remember certain truths. And one that we can never forget is the power of the gospel, the power of what Jesus has done for us. You're gonna hear a lot of songs that we sing about that. You're like, didn't we just sing about that in the last song? I hope so. I was told when you were planning worship that you always need to remember to tell the gospel, tell the message of Jesus, because you never know what way the Lord is gonna use that to implant it into somebody's heart. There could be somebody in this room this morning that doesn't know who Jesus is. And maybe for the first time today, you understand that you can be grateful because there was a God who sent his only son to become a perfect spotless lamb sacrifice for us. He died on the cross, but on three days after that death, he rose again victorious, defeating sin and death and giving us an access to have relationship with God, the heavenly father. And that's what this next song is all about, that there is nothing stronger than the power of the blood to cover our sins, to cleanse us and to give us a relationship with God. So let me invite you to stand together, church, and let's worship the Lord and sing and think about the power of the blood in our lives as Gabby leads us.
His name. Sing it with us. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Let's sing that together, church. We want to take a moment and just enter into a posture of prayer and take time before the Lord as we're gathered here as a corporate body just to seek his face. So I want to invite you. Uh, the scripture gives us some freedom to pray to the Lord in, in several different postures. The scripture talks about kneeling before the Lord. And if you feel comfortable and want to kneel, you can do that. It says you can lift holy hands of prayer to the Lord. Some verses even say you can lay prostrate, which just means with your face down on the ground before the Lord. But all those postures, even though we don't think about them all the time, are postures of prayer, are postures of just allowing our external body to experience a posture that is going to affect our internal posture of our hearts. And so even just sitting down and kneeling and bowing your head, Whatever posture you feel comfortable or feel led to be in right now, I want to invite you to get into that posture as we begin this time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a people in need. We're in need of what you provide, which is life. Lord, we need you every hour of the day. And so Lord, we just wanna confess our dependency on you. We wanna invite your spirit to do work in each of our hearts right now. God, we lay ourselves down before you. Any concerns or worries, we put them at your feet right now. and Just invite you to move during this time. So right where you are, church, I wanna invite you to remember some things that you are grateful for, some things that you want to praise God for in your life and recount what a few of those things are. Just take a moment between you and the Lord and express gratitude and thanks for what he has done.
And there may be some here today who are struggling with a stronghold or some bondage or some chains of sin. And you've tried to get those things to be released. You've brought it to the Lord so many times, but maybe you feel like you're just trapped. I just wanna invite you to confess that to God, whatever that might be. And we've said this multiple weeks, but just wanna remind you of John three seventeen that says, God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. If you're struggling with sin right now as a believer, God invites you with his arms open wide, heavenly father arms of love to say, come, let me help you with that. Don't try to manage it on your own. He wants to speak right into that, but just confess that to him and say, God, I need you in this area. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you heal me? Take a moment to do that. And a lot of times, those sins that we struggle with, that we can't let go of, have a root in a deeper place. And it's really sometimes just a coping mechanism to deal with hurt or pain in our hearts or wounds or sadness or whatever it might be. So I just wanna invite everyone here to take a deeper look inside, to ask the Lord to do some surgery on your heart and to reveal Maybe there's something that has hurt you. Maybe it's been from a long time ago, a family situation, something at work, something with your friends, or just something that you've been battling with the Lord about. I just want to invite you to allow God the Father to speak right into that place. Invite him into that space and say, Lord, I want healing. I want freedom. I don't want to live in bitterness or unforgiveness because it's only hurting me. I need your freedom. I need you to heal that wound in my heart that's causing me to go to these empty wells. Only you can satisfy. And invite Jesus to do what he does to come and love you in that spot. God, thank you that you have the power over the enemy, that there is nothing that Satan can do to separate us from you or from your love. You have already won the victory and you can win the victory in our life and the struggles that we have. And you are great and worthy of praise. As we continue to worship you, God, Lord, we say that you are glorious and worthy of the highest praise because of what you've done and because of who you are. Amen. Let me invite you to stand together if you're not already. Let's continue to worship the Lord and focus on him. Close to your side, heaven is real. And-
when we are your bride. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy God.
thank you for having the power over the enemy. God, thank you that we don't have to live defeated lives. We can live lives of victory, of abundance that you say in the word. You've promised not just life, but abundant life. Thank you for being our healer. We love you. And Lord, open our ears to hear the word right now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. morning. It is a privilege to be able to worship alongside y'all this morning. And um, as said earlier, we are beginning a journey for the next six weeks together uh, with the phrase, the struggle is real. Uh, Because life is more often than not challenging. And sometimes we don't know what to do, especially when we are stuck. And, And I feel very often that it can be easily to get stuck in the struggle and forget the hope that we have in Jesus, the great I am in whom we have the victory. And so for these next six weeks, we're gonna talk about questions that we might all struggle with, but we're also gonna talk about hope and what we can find in a biblical response to these questions. And so today, we're gonna talk about what do I do when fear overwhelms me? And we're gonna learn and study about that in the narrative of Jesus walking on water. You know, very often I feel like this is us, right? Standing and the storm is raging and we just have no idea what is going on because the struggle is very real. And it gets me to think about this movie that came out when I was in college. Uh, Back in 2000, there was a movie that came out called The Replacements. It's a football movie, it's a sports movie, so I was immediately, I'm going to watch this. And what it is, is about uh, a professional football league. Uh, These players that are professional, they go on strike. And in order for the season to continue, they have to bring in replacement players, right? So it begins this pulling all these different players together from all over and making a football team to take them to become a cohesive unit, And there's one scene at the midpoint of the movie where they're in a team meeting and the coach is talking to them and saying, hey, I want to talk about fear. And he wants to talk about fear because he wants the team to kind of come together. He wants them to know what each other's struggles are. And so some of the players don't fully understand what he's asking about fear. And so some of them reply in a comic way as one player said, spiders. One player said bees, and the coach is like, hold on, let's pause for a second, let's go deeper. And so the quarterback, played by Keanu Reeves, Shane Falco says quicksand. And he explains it in this manner. He says that you are playing and you think everything is going fine. Then one thing goes wrong, and then another, and another. You try to fight back, but the harder you fight, the deeper you sink until you can't move, you can't breathe because you're in over your head like quicksand. And again, as we said earlier, we often feel that is life, that we're sinking or drowning in fear and anxiety. But the word of God says, do not be afraid 365 times. And this is God telling us to not let anxiety 
panic, doubt, restlessness, and angst to rule and dominate our lives that we can't let it become so rooted in our hearts because Christians are not supposed to be a people of panic and fear. We're called to be a people of faith, and that's what we're going to study today in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And it reads this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, right before this story begins, we see in Matthew that Jesus had just finished performing the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And when you count women and children, literally fifteen to 20,000 were fed. Jesus saw the people in need, and he provided for their needs. With this miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was a lesson on faith that God wanted to teach the disciples that he would provide for them their needs, to teach the Israelites, the Jews, that he would provide for their needs. But with the story of Jesus walking on the sea, there was another lesson to be taught by Christ himself. In verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. We see here, Jesus told the disciples to get on the boat and go without him. Immediately, right? Miracle done, time to go. Jesus knew what was going to happen. But imagine the disciples feeling at this very moment, right? We just did this huge thing. We saw Jesus perform this miracle and now he wants us to go without him? Well, let me say this. Anytime we study the text, we need to always show grace to the people in it. Because this was all happening in real time for them. We have the privilege to read about this 2,000 years later. And guess what? We still mess it up, even from the lessons that we're learning from here. But the disciples are asking one another, why is Jesus leaving us? Why would he go away from us? Because again, Jesus said it's time to go. I'll see y'all later on. We continue in verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. So remember the huge deal about the feeding of the 5,000, the amazing miracle that testified to his messianic power. And we see often in the Gospels that Jesus 
usually retreated from the crowds in order to rest, recharge, and reconnect with his father. And this is where introverts are like, yes. But I do want to camp out here for just a little bit. Because this phrase, this verse is so often overlooked in this study of this passage that is hugely significant to our spiritual journey into becoming more like Jesus. Jesus went away by himself to pray. Solitude with God is necessary in every believer's life. A Christian must have an intentional alone time with God where you are talking to him, where you are processing life with him. There has to be time with God where there is no extra noise in our lives in order to focus well on him and him alone. But unfortunately, in today's society, we have tricked ourselves to thinking that a few minutes a day with God will suffice as quality time. And I promise you, it doesn't work that way. Because when spending time with God, you should be patient as he is with us. You should feel refreshed and reinvigorated after you cast your burdens on him. And that doesn't happen unless there is deep, intentional time with him. You don't get spiritual death when you are doing the eight-minute abs version of spiritual training. And so, maybe you don't know how to have an intentional time with God. I want to encourage you today that God is pleased with you taking that first step of faith and saying, I want to pray more. I want to be connected to you more. God is pleased with that. What if you've been doing alone time with God for quite some time to where it's kind of routine, it's kind of comfortable, right? Good job at doing that. But God is saying, hey, we can challenge you to go deeper, to spend more time with me, to not just look at it as part of your routine. And so now, we're in January. It's the beginning of a new year. Fresh start. We all get to do and start new things. This is a great time to begin having intentional, solitude, quality time with God alone. And so when we look at this passage, I often think, like, what was Jesus praying about? Right? Because he spent time alone with God. And it doesn't say right here. But I imagine he was debriefing with God what just happened in the feeding of the 5,000. You know, in the John narrative, in John 6.15, we saw that the Israelites wanted to physically, physically take Jesus and make him their earthly king. Maybe he was praying for their hearts to see him more than that, but as their heavenly savior. We don't know, but we know that Jesus was a man of prayer. And we see in verse 24 that Jesus is praying in the night. We see this scene, right? Imagine you're in a movie, you're watching a show, and it's close in on Jesus praying. And then we pan out to the disciples. They're getting on the boat to journey to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They begin their journey and their many stadia into their trip, which is measurements of 105 meters or more. And in John, it says that they had rowed three or four miles, but not just in calm water, in strong waves and heavy winds. That sounds like a fun scenario to row a boat in, doesn't it? I don't know why they didn't just pull out the motor and go. It would have been a lot faster. And so we continue, though, in, in verses 25 and 26 and 27. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night, the Romans, the way they did time, they didn't have watches like we do. They broke the night into four quarters. And so it began from 6 to 9 p.m. would be quarter number one, 
Quarter number two is 9 to 12 a.m. Quarter number three is 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. So the fourth quarter would be... Some were really confident in their answer. Some were kind of like... Three to six. Yes. So three to six a.m. is when Jesus comes to them. And so let's rewind. Nine hours they were rowing in a storm. But let's zoom out of that again and go back. Jesus prayed alone with God for nine hours as well. Right? Going back to solitude time. But back to the disciples. They've been rowing for nine hours. And I don't know how many people in here have rowed or whatever. My closest experience is when I do cardio in a gym. Uh, Well, let me, I like weights. I hate cardio. Cardio is of the devil. Amen, yes. But my heart needs to be stronger. And my wife says she needs me to be healthy. And so when I do cardio, I like to do the rowing machine because I get on there 15, 20, 30 minutes. I'm done. I'm spent. I'm good. Now, if I did that for nine hours, there's no way. There is no way I would be exhausted. And so imagine the disciples. They're tired. They're scared. So it's a good thing that Jesus walks up on them on the sea. Let me say that again because I think we overlook this miracle that Jesus walks on the sea because a lot of us heard in children's church growing up, right, Jesus walking on water was a really cool miracle. And that's kind of what we hear. And as adults, we kind of lose sight and awe of this miracle. Jesus walked on the sea to his disciples. Again, when I was preparing for this message, my ADD mind went to the, like, I wonder how he got there. Like, did he fly? Did he teleport? Did he walk? Did he run? I don't know. That's, that's one of the answers I look forward to knowing when I'm in heaven. I can ask him. But we see in this moment in verse 26, the disciples are terrified. And again, understanding their fatigue and exhaustion after doing a long day of ministry and rowing all night, they're going to be tired. When we are tired, our mind is not sharp. Our eyes may not see clearly. And when that happens, things can start to unravel. And so when we see Jesus walking on the sea to them, the Greek gives us the visual example that he is walking in a normal human stride in the midst of stormy seas. Not one of being tossed left and right to and from by the seas, but a normal walking stride. We see here Jesus' power over nature. So we've seen his demonstration of power twice now with the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the sea. I love to close my eyes and visualize what is written in Psalm 77, 19, which says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And in Job 9, 8, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? The disciples are terrified because they're tired. They're literally stirred up with fear and greatly troubled. But if we look back in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, this isn't the first time that the disciples were on a boat in a storm on the sea. That last time, they were literally fearing for their lives, and Jesus commanded the storm to stop, to show, I am the Son of God. I have power over nature. Well, we see in this text right here that they're in this storm. They're not fearing for their lives. Instead, they're scared that they see a ghost. They feel that they see an apparition or a spirit. And so here, we have a different scenario, but the same result, fear. 
because there was an urban legend, uh, a Hellenistic legend, myth, that when someone died on the Sea of Galilee, their spirit would remain there to haunt whoever would be on the waters. And so understanding that, you could see that the disciples were not superstitious, but they might have been a little stitious. And the disciples are crying out in fear because they're scared, they're tired, they're out of control, and they think they're alone. But Jesus, in verse 27, Jesus doesn't sit there and wait for them to calm down. He comforts them immediately because that is what a loving God does when he sees his children and followers in distress. And he says three things to them specifically. Take heart. This means to have courage. The Greek word for this is tharseo which literally means to be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances. This is a positive command that Jesus gives to his disciples on what to do in the midst of fear and anxiety and in a storm. And why? The second statement, it is I. It is I. As I still read this today to this very moment, I can't help but be touched by the power of that statement. Because Jesus isn't just saying, hey guys, your bro's here. He's saying, I am is here. Not just your friend, not just your teacher, but your God is here with you in this storm. And this I am, he is referencing Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, when God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, excuse me, 43 verses 1 through 3, when God tells Israel that he has been with them in their captivity, been with them in their hopelessness. Jesus, the great I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the vine, the I am is here with you in your time of fear, anxiety, and doubt. So you can take courage. And not just take courage. He gives a third statement. He says, do not be afraid. Jesus gives them a negative command now on what not to do in the face of fear. He's saying literally, fear not. This statement, though, is an encouragement and not a rebuke. The New Living Translation, it gives this specific order to don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. The theologian Donald A. Hagner says that fear is unwarranted where Jesus is present. And in the movie world, this would be a perfect place for a story to end. But Jesus still has more to teach the disciples. And we continue in verses 28 through 31. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. The story shifts the focus from all of the disciples to one specific one, Peter. Everyone's favorite, good old Peter. We all know about Peter, right, as we see in the text. He's the brash disciple, the one who often speaks too quickly, the one who seems to over-promise and under-deliver, right? He would never leave Jesus aside, but he denied him. He cut off a Roman soldier's ear. He's reckless, And we see a man whose faith journey is often up and down. 
But the reality, when we look at Peter, we often see ourselves as well. Because I know for me specifically, I often feel like Peter more than I do the Apostle Paul. But one thing we might lose sight of in this, in Peter's recklessness, is that Peter is bold. He doesn't question Jesus in this instance. What he's saying when he's saying, if it's you, he's saying, since it is you, since it is you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Tell me to get out of the boat and walk to you because I want to come to you. I want to be with you where the storm is not affecting you. Peter is asking Jesus for a sign, not like the hypocrites that we see in Matthew 12 and in Matthew 16 where they wanted to put him to the test. Peter has a faith in Jesus. Jesus saw that faith. And so Jesus says, come, come to me. Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. Peter doesn't just get out of the boat. He immediately gets out of the boat. No hesitation. Jesus says, come, okay. And just as Jesus walked on the sea, Peter walks in the same manner. Regular human stride in the midst of the storm. Because he's focused on his Savior and walking towards his Savior. But fear. But fear because in verse 30, out of the corner of his eye, he sees a large crashing wave. He feels his body, uh, the strong winds hitting his body. And he's realizing that this is not a real ideal environment to be walking in or on. Reminds me of like when I drive on I-10. Y'all can, y'all can, y'all probably, everyone in here can understand. When you're driving on the inside lane and you're stuck between that concrete barrier and an 18-wheeler, right, and you're scared to look to your right because you might go into them or you look left, you might hit the concrete barrier. So you're just like, I'm going to look forward. I'm going to accelerate just a little bit more and pray that the Lord doesn't want me to get in a wreck today. Right, because when you do look to your right, you can't help but swerve a little to the right. When you look to your left, you can't help but swerve a little. So you need to look forward. That's what Peter was trying to do. But the storms of life were just enough of his distraction that he took his eyes and his focus off of his Lord, off of the I am. And so he panics as he sees chaos. In his situation, he has forgotten about everything he has learned and seen Jesus do up to this point in his journey alongside him. He forgot about Jesus cleansing the leper. He forgot about Jesus curing a Roman centurion servant. He forgot that he saw Jesus heal a fever and calm a storm and cast out demons. He forgot that he saw Jesus heal a paralytic. He forgot about Jesus healing the woman with the blood issue and raising a little girl from the dead. He forgot about seeing Jesus open the eyes of a blind man, making the mute speak, healing a man with a withered hand. Literally, he forgot about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he forgot these things because in the midst of the storm he was experiencing, he took his eyes and mind off of his Lord. In his circumstances, his fear had him forget the truth and the hope that he had learned, seen, and experienced because of Jesus. And that's what an uncontrolled fear, that's what uncontrolled anxiety can do to a believer's life. It will make you forget about the goodness of God. And it will happen very easily because in the midst of junk, it is easy to lose sight of everything that we have experienced because of Jesus Christ. And so Peter cries out, Lord, save me. 
this is amazing. Peter should get lots of props for this because he realizes he can do nothing of his own accord to help or fix this situation. That Peter is desperate and there is nowhere to go and he cries out to the only one who can save him, the I am. Peter echoes the words from David in Psalm 69 verses 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. But we see in verse 31, Jesus immediately reaches into the stormy waters and pulls Peter up. Jesus rescues and saves Peter and tells him or asks him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That seems kind of like an ouch statement, doesn't it? Well, it's kind of a yes and a no. And so I want to talk about this for just a little bit because growing up for me, I was always taught that Jesus was scolding Peter, that Peter was a failure because of his doubt and his fear. And so for me, as a high school student, as a middle school student, as a college student, that wrestled with my faith. Anytime I had doubts when life was circumstances were bad, I felt guilty. I want to encourage you that that is hogwash that Peter was not a failure. Peter was the one that stepped out onto the stormy seas. Not Andrew, not James, not John, not Philip, not Bartholomew, Thomas, or Matthew, not the other James, Thaddeus, or Judas, no comment on Judas regardless. But Peter, Peter stepped out in faith when Jesus said, come. And so when we look at this passage, we can see that Jesus is asking Peter in a loving and kind way, why didn't you trust me? I had you. And the word we see here with the word doubt is distazo. It means or refers to people who do do believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is the one who rescues and saves, but still at the same time may have some lingering doubts. This is very different from the doubt of unbelievers, which is one based on stubborn unbelief. This distazo is one that comes to us when life overwhelms us, when we are in the midst of life's storms, the storms that make even the strongest and faith-filled believers wonder where God is. Where is God's goodness? Where is his mercy? But it wasn't the size or amount of Peter's faith that Jesus was questioning. We see that Peter had faith because he stepped out onto the sea. Jesus was questioning why Peter lost focus and allowed life circumstances to distract him and have him forget about his Lord and Savior being the one that protected him, the one that provided for him and rescued him. This doubt will come to all of us. But the reality is what will we do in the midst of this distazo? Will we stay in our own situation? Will we try to fix it with our own power and just sink deeper and deeper? Or will we seek out and cry out to the I am? Yeah, that's worked pretty well. <laughs> we just get some soundtrack music too now. But in the midst of our storm, will we seek Jesus out with every muscle fiber of our being? Will we genuinely scream out, Lord, save me? Because Jesus 
is literally asking Peter, asking you, asking me, every time that we are filled with fear, doubt, and anxiety, he's asking, will you trust me? Do you trust me? And if you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, will you trust him? But on the other side, maybe you don't know Jesus is Lord. Maybe you don't know that he is the one who can rescue you. The same way Jesus rescued Peter from death, he can and will rescue you. And I'm not talking about a temporal death, the physical death that we will all experience, but I'm talking about an eternal death. And the word of God hopefully tells us in a hopeful manner that if we believe Jesus is Lord, that he is the only way to be reconciled back to God, that he is the only one that could die on the cross for our sins My sins, your sins, everyone's sins, but not just die, but resurrect because he is Lord. This belief that Jesus is Lord will give you hope and it will save you forever and you get to spend an eternity with God in heaven. That is how Jesus can save you. And maybe the spirit is prodding you, hey, now's the time to recognize that Jesus is the only one that will save and rescue you, not what you've been trying to do. But there's more. It doesn't end right there. In verse 32 and 33, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus and Peter get into the boat, and the storm stops immediately. Lots of immediately's in this story. Jesus doesn't command the storm to stop like he did earlier in Matthew. It just stops. Because the I am's power can stop the storm without words. So the disciples have seen the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples have seen the storm get stopped again. This should be the climax of the story, right? This is kind of the climax that I was taught growing up. But it's not the climax of the story. The climax of the story is what happens next. When they recognize and say that Jesus is the Son of God. They recognize him as Lord for his power. They recognize and see that he is the one that conquers all. Recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, this is the first time that we see him being addressed as the Son of God by the disciples. They give this Christological confession altogether because he is Lord. And what do they do in the response? Just like my friend John preached last week, we worship him because of that. The disciples worshiped him because of that. And they're not just showing respect to their teacher and friend. They are worshiping him as Lord because they are in awe. They are in amazement. They are in adoration in the presence of their Savior. And so recognizing that Jesus is Lord is the climax of this story. And not just this story, but any story that is ever told. Jesus is Lord. And so the response upon deliverance and recognizing Jesus was to worship him. And not just them, but for us today, as we worship as a church family, we worship Jesus because he is Lord. So what do we do when fear overwhelms us? There has to be some truth that we can use in our minds that we see and receive from the Lord or from Christian fellowship uh, and, and church. And this is it. This sounds really cliche and cheesy and corny, but this is reality. We can't think that prayer is cliche-ish. It is essential. And so when you pray, I'm not talking about just a quick 10-second prayer, but really talk to God when you are in a storm. Let him know your heart. We see in the Psalms that David let God know about his heart all the time. 
Spend quality, intentional time in solitude with him consistently because God wants to hear your questions. He wants to understand and see why you have your fears and your doubts. I read this quote a few weeks ago by a lady named Brittany Rust, and she says this, does God know what's going on with you because he is omniscient or because you share it with him? Let me say that again because it really convicted me when I was reading it. Does God know what's going on with you because he is omniscient or because you share it with him? You don't just pray. You confess. And when I say confess, I mean confessing your struggles not just with God, but with your brothers and sisters in Christ in your church family. Because you are not meant to struggle alone. You are meant to struggle alongside And that's why it is so essential for us here as a church family to not just come together corporately, but to also have deeper intentional relationships that we get in our grow groups. Because this life is too difficult to get through it alone. And so the beautiful struggle that there is can be had alongside fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Be in community with other brothers and sisters and confess your struggles to one another. Remember the words of Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And then lastly, remember. Remember that God doesn't want his children to be filled with anxiety and stress and fear. Remember who Jesus is. He is the great I am. This Jesus who multiplied the fish and the loaves. This Jesus who walked on the sea. This Jesus who rescued Peter. Remember him. Remember that goodness. And that way we can keep faith. We can keep hope. And trust that Jesus is near when fear overwhelms us. Remember the words given in 2 Timothy 1.7. That God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And pray. Lord, thank you for this morning for the encouraging words from the Gospel of Matthew that showed us your son's power as he walked on the sea, not just calming the storm, but calming the spirits of the disciples. Father, I pray for any of us who may be in the midst of a storm right now that our first response is to seek out your face, that we will cry out, Lord, save me in our struggles. Father, may we choose to remember your faithfulness in all things even when it's difficult. But Father, may we most always remember the hope that there is in the name of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory if we place our faith in his name alone. Father, we thank you so much for all that you give us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Chang. Church, we wanna respond to this message right now in song. And Isaiah 41 says this, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And we're gonna sing about that truth right now. I wanna invite you to stand together with us. Let's respond and remember that in Christ, we are never alone. He is with us, he is for us, walking through every storm together.
So again, we want to invite you to join our brothers and sisters from the Creole ministry as they celebrate profession of faith through baptism after service ends. And remember, right, like my friends Deanna Schertz says, the struggle is real, but so is my God. Right? Remember that, and as you leave today, when you feel overwhelmed, remember that Jesus is with you, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. God bless y'all.
All right, Cyprus Bible Church. Thank you for staying after to joining us for this baptism service with our brothers and sisters with the Creole ministry. We've got uh, three candidates this morning that are going to be baptized. And so I'm going to be the, uh, the English speaker. <laughs> and so our first candidate is Jessica. All right, Jessica, do you want to make, make Jesus Lord of your life? All right, great. And, and publicly through baptism, do you want to identify as a follower of Jesus and with his church? Yes. Okay. And Jessica's going to tell us uh, her Bible verse. Jessica? Avec confiance pour gagner un bon Dieu. Dans la foi qu'on gagne en bon Dieu, nous va baptiser au matin dans le nom du Père, dans le nom du Fils et dans le nom du Saint-Esprit. With your confession of your faith, we will now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptiste, <laughs> do you want to make Jesus Lord of your life? Yes. All right. Do you want, through baptism, do you want to identify uh, as a follower of Jesus and with his church? Yes. En blanchant avec la foi pour gagner en bon Dieu, nous pouvons le baptiser dans le nom du Père, Fils et Saint-Esprit. Blanchant, with your confession of faith, will now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Christina, do you want to make Jesus Lord of your life? Through baptism, do you want to identify as a follower of Jesus and with his church? Yes. yes. Amen. Christina, avec la foi qu'on gagne en bon Dieu, avec confession foi, nous pouvons le baptiser au nom papa, dans nos petites là, avec notre Saint-Esprit. Christina, with the confession of your faith, will now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Well, Father, we thank you and give you praise for these three young souls that now belong to you. They are your children. And so we pray that you would protect them, give them guidance and wisdom. Uh, and as a church, help us to support them in their journey with you. And may you glorify your name through them and through us. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church.